journaling is one of the tools in your toolkit that can help you manage your type 2 diabetes. It can help you stick to your eating plan, your movement plan, whatever that is for yourself. Those are very personal, individualized things. But I believe everyone, whether they know it or not, has an eating plan. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Thank you very much for joining me here for an episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm glad that you've chosen to join me here, and uh, I hope to make it uh, worth your time. Let's take a look at my last two weeks since the last episode. Really, except for about a day or so, I have been on a cruise ship for the last two weeks. It was a 13-night cruise, and it left the day after I recorded the last episode, and I just got back yesterday. It was a good time, a really good time we had down in the Southern Caribbean. It was on the Royal Caribbean's Vision of the Seas cruise ship, and it left out of Baltimore. It left out of a chilly Baltimore and came back to a snowy Baltimore. But in between, let me tell you, the weather was fantastic. The day we left and the next day, it was still yet a little bit chilly. But after that, after we got into the Gulf, down in the neighborhood of South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, it really warmed up quickly. It was in the 70s by the end of the second day. And for the following, I'm going to say nine days or so, it was in the mid-80s. Sun every day. We visited six different islands, all the way down by Barbados, St. Kitts, the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Croix, uh, Puerto Rico on our way down, as well as Haiti on our way down. And then all in all, it was six different stops. But each one, maybe a few clouds in the sky, but pretty much full sun, and I think one day got up to 88, but on average, I think it was about 82 to 84 degrees every day. And the first day sailing south, the seas were rough. It was rolling. But what do you expect in the North Atlantic in the middle of January? But again, after that, after we got south, you know, starting waking up the third day and really for the remainder of the cruise, even the full way back, it was calm seas and just really enjoyable. So how did I do with my eating and my blood sugar levels for those two weeks? Two weeks on a cruise ship, there is food everywhere. There is food available 24 hours a day on that cruise ship, from little snack shops to pizza to full buffets to sit-down restaurants. Food is available literally 24 hours a day, including an ice cream self-serve soft cone machine out on the pool deck. That's open even from about, I'm going to say, 10 in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. 
Like I said, food everywhere. So how did I do? You re might remember that at the beginning of January, I had my most recent doctor's visit where I got my blood test results and the A1C was up to 7.1. And I said, that's mostly because the Manjaro is gone and that's fully out of my system for that full three months. But this past two weeks on a cruise ship, my blood sugar averaged 102. 102 for the full past two weeks. Now, if that were extrapolated out to a 90-day A1C, that would be an A1C of 5.2. Now, that's a dramatic change from 7.1. If you might remember that back when I was on Manjaro, and I used that from December of 22 through August of 23, my A1C was averaging about 5, sometimes 5.5. Once, the lowest was 4.8. An average of 5, 5.2. So how is it that this past week, with no Manjaro, I was able to get it to 5.2? By my CGM, the average reading was 102. It's one of the reports that I can get off of the CGM, a 14-day average blood sugar reading. And I did get a small bump in the Farsiga when I was at my doctor's office at the beginning of January. It went from 5 to 10 milligrams. Mostly on that cruise ship, I did it by eating according to my plan. Now, my plan right now is pretty simple. I tend to, except for my coffee with heavy cream, I tend to keep my eating between about 12 noon and about 6 p.m. So generally speaking, except for some heavy cream, which honestly has maybe one gram of carbohydrate in it, the coffee itself has more carbohydrate than the heavy cream does. But except for that, I keep my eating between 12 and 6, generally speaking. And I also keep my carbohydrate intake below 80 grams and my protein intake at about 120 grams. Those are the parts of my plan, really. The time, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., and no more than 80 grams of carbs and at least 120 grams of protein. Now, that's what I do. I'm not recommending this for you. But what I did on this cruise ship was I stuck to my plan. Each day, I just kept to that. Nothing special, nothing unusual, nothing weird. Whatever I wanted that fit within that range. Now, I have to say that eating on this cruise ship, one of the things you benefit is there's no highly processed food on board. Now, if you stay away from the desserts and whatnot, and I did, you really... I don't know, it's meat, it's vegetables. I don't know that I had, now I'm thinking back, I really don't think I had any fruit, but it's meat and vegetables. And I stayed away from the bread because that would have easily exceeded my carbohydrate limit. I had a couple of those small little one inch by one inch mini desserts, I had a couple of those, but I recorded it in my fitness pal. But what I'm getting at is I didn't do anything extraordinary yet I was able to have absolutely fantastic blood sugar. That 102 average is below the pre-diabetes range. Not by much, but it is just a little bit below the pre-diabetes range, certainly below the type 2 diabetes range. So I'm just saying this as a hope of encouragement to you that it is possible. I've been dealing with this type 2 diabetes diagnosis now for, oh wow, I don't know, probably about 15 years. And again, when I stick to my plan, 
when I get the medication that my doctor prescribes, I can do it. So how does this compare to when I was on Manjaro? When you're on Manjaro, it literally takes away, for me anyway, it takes away my desire to eat. Now, that's like an automatic thing. It's like being on a desert island and all you have are, I don't know, chicken breast and broccoli. You have no choice. If you overeat on Manjaro, you're going to get physically sick. And if you eat at the wrong thing, you're just going to get again, physically sick. So it was extremely easy, for lack of wanting to be sick, it was very easy to stick to my eating plan while I'm on Jaro. So I guess for this past two weeks, I've just made a determination to stick to my eating plan, but I can't take all the credit. And we're not going to talk about it this week because this week we're talking about journaling. But next week, I'm going to talk about what happens when willpower is not enough. And I don't think willpower is enough. So that's a little preemptive preview for what's coming up on the next episode. For now, let's continue with my past two weeks and let's talk about what's on my needles. As you might remember, about a year ago now, I picked up knitting, so I like to talk about that just a little bit. So while I was on the cruise ship, I was able to finish a hoodie for my grandson. And I'll see him tomorrow, and I hope to give it to him then. I hope he likes it. It has little bears on it. And again, if you want to see a picture of it, just go to my personal Instagram. There's a link in the show notes. It's on my personal Instagram, not for the show. But uh, you can look there and see a picture of it. And it has little bears on the front, has a hood. And on the hood, it has two little ears. So it looks like he's a little bear. But hopefully he likes that. I was able to finish that. I had started that just, I think, the day after Christmas, as a matter of fact. And then once I finished that, and I finished that about three days before the end of the cruise, and once I finished that, I went back to working on a blanket for my granddaughter. Now, I'm making a blanket, and if you know knitting at all, the stitch is called Fisherman's Rib, and it's a little complex, but the problem with the blanket is there's tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of stitches. It is going to use about 10, maybe 11 large balls of yarn, or skeins, if you will, uh, specifically, it's going to use two of the 500-gram uh, skeins of Brava yarn. Um, so that's a lot. And even still, even though I started this back in June and I pick it up in between other projects, I am right now only halfway through. The finished dimensions are supposed to be 40 inches wide by 48 inches tall. And right now it is 40 inches wide by 24 inches tall. So it's still a work in progress. But I see her in three weeks, and I would love to be done. I'm not sure. I'm going to work on it exclusively, no other knitting besides that, for the next three weeks and see how it goes. I will, of course, keep you posted. Now, for my sourdough update, when I went on the cruise, I put my sourdough to bed. Now, what does that mean? I put it in the fridge. Normally, my sourdough is at about 74 degrees. The starter in between uses, I keep it about 74 degrees. I feed it every day. But if I kept it at 74 degrees it would, again, run out of food within about one day. So I can't have that because I was gone for two weeks. So I put it in the fridge. And to get it ready for bed, instead of feeding it normally, I fed it with half the amount of water I would normally put in. So I put in one part starter, two parts flour, and then one part water. Normally, it would get two parts water. But I put it in one part water and then we made it very dry so the yeast didn't have enough water to eat aggressively. It actually needs water as part of that process. You put yeast in with dried flour and it just stays dormant. 
So basically, by making it a little drier than normal, it slowed it down. It allowed it to be dormant. And then also putting it in a 36 degree refrigerator keeps it dormant as well. So those two things hopefully worked in my favor. I took it out yesterday, started warming it back up, put water in, and today I fed it normally. So we'll see how that goes. If it goes well, then I should be making bread again in about seven days because the family really seems to like that. All right, let's take a look at the news. I got some good ones here for you today. This first article is entitled, People Who Go Into Type 2 Diabetes Remission See a 40% Drop in Heart Disease Risk. Again, there was a study. It was published in, oh, I can't pronounce it, Diabetologia. I don't know. Anyway, the link's in the show notes. And what they said was that point of remission, now, now what does remission mean? Remission typically is defined as you have a type 2 diabetes diagnosis, which means you'll never get rid of that diagnosis, but by making lifestyle changes, so what you eat and how you move, by making lifestyle changes, your blood sugar goes back down below the type 2 diabetes level. Now, honestly, with my medication, I am there again, even though I was above that level uh, for the last three months of 2023, but I'm back down below that level again today. But I'm doing it with lifestyle and medication, and I don't know if I could keep it below that 150 average uh, just with lifestyle changes. I think it would be close. I think the medication is helping me, the Farsiga that I take and also the metformin. I think it's definitely helping me, so could I be in remission without medication with my diet and movement alone? Perhaps, but I think it would be really close, and I'm not willing to risk it right now. I'm going to keep taking my medication and keep eating according to my plan, God willing, and therefore I will be technically not in remission because I'm using the medication, but my blood sugar levels will be as if I was in remission. Anyway, what they're saying here in this study, and it was a study of uh, just over 5,000 adults, and this was over a 12-year period with lifestyle intervention. Those who got their blood sugar levels down below the, um, what is it here, down below 6.5 and stayed there, the A1C of 6.5, and stayed there for, throughout the whole trial, those people had a 40% lower risk of cardiovascular disease and a 33% lower rate of kidney disease. That's fabulous. Again, that is hopefully encouraging to let you know that even though you have this diabetes diagnosis, it does not have to necessarily lead to things like heart disease and kidney disease as well as long as you're able to get your blood sugar levels back down below that cutoff of 6.5 A1C or a average blood sugar reading of 150. This next article here is entitled, Eating Too Fast Could Raise Your Risk of Type 2 Diabetes and More. Now, one of the first things they say here is that this is a correlation and not a causality. They do not find that by eating slowly, it directly lowers your risk of type 2 diabetes. However, they do say that there are definite health benefits to eating more slowly. And the first is that you will get hungry more slowly. You will get 
full and satiated faster. So that in of itself is a benefit because we do know that overeating is a great dramatic instant contributor to type 2 diabetes. Being obese, eating too much of the refined carbohydrates, that can definitely dramatically and immediately increase your chance of type 2 diabetes. So they're thinking that is actually the actual benefit is that by eating more slowly, your body can uh, start to digest the food, signal your brain that you're full, and therefore you don't uh, have consumed a tremendous amount of food, especially if it's refined carbohydrates, before you get that sensation to stop eating. So they're saying that these benefits come by paying attention to your eating speed, and that should help you along. So I thought that was very helpful. Now this next one here, this next article is entitled, In 2024, Biosensors Are Becoming More Accessible. And you know what that means for you. So what they're talking about biosensors here are the CGM, the Continuous Glucose Monitor. Now I wear the Libre 3 Continuous Glucose Monitor, and I find that data incredibly helpful. I can see within an hour when I eat something, if it's had a positive or negative effect. Today for lunch, I had crack chicken. Now this is fabulous. It's chicken breast, it has cream cheese, it has bacon, it has ranch style seasonings, and all that sits in a crock pot for several hours, and then you shred the chicken, stir it up. Now my wife likes it on a hamburger bun. I, of course, just have it straight. And you know, you have that with some green beans or you know, maybe mixed vegetables of some sort, and it is absolutely fabulous. Now, when I looked at my CGM readings an hour, two hours, three hours later, no increase whatsoever because there's literally no carbohydrates. Even the vegetables, if, if you know, pick the right vegetables, but even the vegetables, not potatoes so much, but otherwise, things like green beans, things like that, the carbohydrates are fiber. There's very few actual carbohydrates, even though vegetables that vegetables are a source of carbs, fruits and vegetables, but many vegetables have very few grams of carbohydrates that are available to your body. Most of it comes in as fiber. And the other ones that do are available for your body, it's actually a very small amount. You'd have to eat buckets of green beans to get a sugar bump. So I love having the CGM, I love having that information, but what they're saying now is not only are CGMs available for people with type 1 diabetes, but more and more people with type 2 diabetes are wearing these CGMs, and even people with no diabetes diagnosis whatsoever are often getting CGMs from third party, maybe telehealth, online type places, because they still do need a prescription. But even if you have no diabetes whatsoever, it's, it is possible to get a prescription for these CGMs. Your insurance may or may not cover it in that case, but you're going to have access to the data. And they're finding that athletes, other people like that, are really benefiting, especially these long-term endurance athletes. If you're running a marathon, let's say you're biking 100 kilometers, whatever it is, if it's taking two, three, four hours to complete, Chances are you're going to need to refuel during that event. And having the CGM can be very helpful to those types of athletes in figuring out when and how much and how often to refuel. I thought that was helpful. Let me know. Do you, do you use a CGM? If so, what kind? 
I use, again, I use the Libre 3, but I'm interested in knowing what types of CGMs you use or if you consider using one. This next article, it says, Dr. Michael Mosley recommends a five cents a day supplement to reduce diabetes risk. So you're thinking five cents a day, how can that hurt? Now this is a food supplement, this is not a drug, not a medication. Now this is the guy, the doctor is famous for an online fasting program. I think his program is called Fast 800, whatever. So I'm not endorsing that at all. But he does suggest here that taking omega-3 capsules can help reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes. Now, I happen to take fish oil, which is basically omega-3. I take a very high-quality uh, fish oil, and it was actually recommended by my doctor. And so I take that, and that helps with my triglyceride levels. That helps with, they, they say it helps avoid hardening of the arteries, things like that. But I don't know about that, but I take it. I don't seem to have any adverse effects, but that's just me. Before you take any supplement, make sure you talk to your doctor about that. I thought this was interesting. He claims it's a nickel a day on average. Now, honestly, I think mine are more expensive than that, but your mileage may vary. Another way to get omega-3 is salmon, fish. Cold water fish is an outstanding source of the omega-3 fatty acids, even if you don't want to take a supplement. This last article here, I think, is interesting. It says, what happens to your body when you cut out sugar? Now, one of the things here it, it makes clear is that it's not talking about cutting out natural sugar, like an apple that has natural sugar, carrots that has natural sugar. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about fruits and vegetables. It is talking about added sugar found in processed foods. Almost anything that comes in a box or a bag or the freezer case Unless it's just a bag of vegetables, it's going to have processed sugar often. Frequently, it has processed sugar. It says here, for example, the American, the average American consumes 17 teaspoons of sugar. That's added sugar a day, and that's, that's too much. But what are the benefits? It says here, if you try and remove that processed sugar, it says it's going to improve your metabolic health. Now, what is metabolic health? That's what we're interested in. That's, that's insulin resistance. By knocking out that added sugar, they find that people's insulin resistance uh, does not become a problem. So that's great for us. Now, it's, it's saying here that if you're addicted or you're hooked or you normally eat processed sugars every day, your mood could actually get worse before it gets better because it's like an addiction. It's like having withdrawals. Don't cut out process sugar and then give up after a few days. Give it a couple of weeks and this article claims here that you'll start to feel better. It also says it'll lower your risk of heart disease. Now we just found that we keep giving your blood sugar levels in the normal range below type 2 diabetes you reduce your risk of heart disease. That was in an earlier article. This is saying the same things. It's saying that just simply by reducing processed sugar that'll give you 20 percent reduction and it claims that's from Reducing your triglycerides is part of your cholesterol, right? It, it comes in that same uh, measurement. It says triglycerides are a storage form of excess sugar. So you eat a lot of carbohydrates, you eat a lot of crackers, cookies, uh, breads, that type of thing, cereals. That's going to make your triglycerides go up, and that's something that could concern your doctor. And then you might lose weight. 
So it's saying here by cutting out the processed sugar, which is often really calorically dense. So you eat a little bit, you eat a handful of something, and it could contain a ton of calories. So by stopping that, you could lose some weight. And then finally it says here, you can decrease your inflammation levels. Now we know about insulin. We've talked about cortisol in the past, other things of insulin. What am I trying to say here? There's other things where inflammation can uh, show up. Inflammation is thought to contribute to heart disease, arthritis, certain cancers. Uh, all very interesting here. So definite benefits about stopping the processed sugar and it's in that article and check that out and I think you might find that interesting. Okay, so let's skip into our topic for the day and as I mentioned last week I wanted to talk about journaling. Journaling is one of the tools in your toolkit that can help you manage your type 2 diabetes. It can help you stick to your eating plan, your movement plan, whatever that is for yourself. Those are very personal, individualized things. But I believe everyone, whether they know it or not, has an eating plan. Your eating plan might be to eat whatever's in sight. I don't know. But you, at time to time, especially if you're the type who's listening to this podcast, you're interested in type 2 diabetes, chances are you either have or could certainly benefit from an eating plan. And journaling is one of the things that, that helps you really stick to that, in my opinion. Now, journaling could be simply writing down what you eat or what you plan to eat. For example, even though it's only right now, it's 2.20 in the afternoon on Saturday, but I've written down in my journal what I plan to eat for tomorrow. Now, I did this in the app. My Fitness Pal. You've heard me talk about My Fitness Pal a lot in the past, and I use it almost every single day. Now, tomorrow, for example, I know in the morning I'm going to have my coffee as I normally do, but then I'm going to get on the road and I'm going to drive south for a little bit and go on a nice trail walk near Hunt Valley, Maryland with one of my daughters. And then after that, we're going to go out to lunch and we're going to go to the Iron Rooster restaurant. And I always get the scrambled eggs and the scrapple while I'm there. So I put that in the app put that in the journal. And then when I come home that evening, I know we're having my youngest daughter and her family over for dinner. We usually do that on Sunday nights now that they move back to the area. And I know I'm having pork and sauerkraut tomorrow at dinner. So I put that in the app. And then I compared all of that to my plan. And I realized that after dinner, but before 6 p.m., I can have some mixed nuts as well. Two and a half ounces to be specific. So I write all that down, and I yes, I am that specific. And that fulfills my plan. It's just a little bit under my caloric goal. It is certainly below my carbohydrate goal, and it's right at my protein goal. So I'm already journaling for tomorrow what I plan to eat, and I find that tremendously helpful. But also, you can journal thoughts and notes. Journaling allows you to be self-reflective. Think about your thoughts. Think about your thinking. Think about your emotions and your experience. And write that down. And then when you have a quote-unquote helpful day, some people call it a good day, you can look back. What was going through your mind? What are the things that helped you have that good or successful day? It can be crucial for your self-awareness and things, your obstacles you might face or your motivations. This self-reflection can be a very powerful thing. Journaling can also give you clarity and focus. 
by writing down your goals and writing down your intentions, it gives you focus to those things that are important to you. It lets you pause and reflect. Also, accountability. The fact of the matter is that I've written down tomorrow what I plan to eat. If I deviate from that, now I have to think about the fact that I had a plan and I did not stick to it. If I had stuck to the plan, it would have pushed me closer to my goals, closer to health, closer to low blood sugar, healthy blood sugar. And if I don't stick to it, I'm not helping myself. I'm not sticking to a plan that will get me to my goals. Journaling can also help you track progress. Maybe as part of your journaling, you keep track of how many days per week or how many days per month you stick to your plan. Maybe you track your weight. I don't know. Some people track their weight. Some people don't track their weight. You can track your weight in your journal. Journaling can also help with problem solving. Maybe by writing about a problem you're encountering. Maybe you find yourself eating in the evenings. Maybe you find yourself overeating at social events. Maybe by writing that down and reflecting upon that and be honest, you can analyze what's going on in your thoughts and emotions that might be leading to that. Journaling can also boost creativity. It can do things like reduce stress, maybe just increase self-discipline a little bit. And like I said before, this all leads to growth, progress, and it might just be worth your time to spend, I don't know, five minutes a day jotting down those things that you think are going to help you and lead you forward on your plan. I find it helpful. You might find it helpful as well. Now, that's all well and good, but how do you do it? What are the mechanics? I think there's three ways. First is just freeform. Get a blank piece of paper, maybe a notebook, maybe the notes app on your phone, and just jot something down. Your thoughts. There's no right or wrong. Just write down what you feel is important. Maybe you make up an outline. Like when I'm preparing for this podcast, I have a generic blank outline, the things I want to talk about. Every episode, I talk about my past two weeks. I talk about news articles. I pick a topic, and I answer questions. That's my generic outline. You can do the same thing in journaling. Maybe you want to track your mood, scale of one to five. I don't know. Maybe you want to track just what you eat or just what you plan to eat, or just what you did eat. That's a way to do it. Maybe you want to write down your feelings and your thoughts. But you can decide that for yourself. Maybe you purchase an outline pre-made. Now, there's journaling books out there, My Daily Journal, things like that. I just made up that title. But there's little books you can buy that are mostly blank, but have little lines for you to make entries, little subjects. Maybe it has a date at the top of each page, something like that. So you can make your own outline, You can get a pre-made prompt or outline, or again, just freestyle it and uh, see which one works for you. I'd be interested in knowing if you journal. Do you already journal? Do you think maybe now you might try it, give it a shot for a week or two? I'd be very interested in hearing your experience with journals. Please share that with me. Now, we have two questions this week. I'm always happy to get questions. This first one here is from Mike. Mike wrote in and he says, Hi Tom, given your previous success with Manjaro, I'm sorry to hear that it remains unavailable to you as a treatment. There are even more drugs like this one in the pipeline. So this class of medication certainly seems like the path forward for treating type 2 diabetes. I thought you might find the following article interesting. 
And Mike sent an article here. It's entitled, GLP-1 Drug Hydrogels Could Reduce Shots to Once Every Four Months. Now, I did look at the article that Mike sent in. Thank you very much, Mike, for sending that in. I appreciate it. Thanks for your comments. And this article that Mike shared here talks about a study they're doing with rats. Ugh. Mice and rats. The poor things. They always experiment on them. But what they're saying here is that they're coming up with different delivery methods, this hydrogel or pills, different things that can make you either have to inject less often or not have to inject at all and just simply take a pill. So those things are in the pipeline. It looks like they're animal studies right now. I don't know. It could be a couple years. But yeah, Mike, I appreciate your comments. Uh, unfortunately, I simply don't qualify. Uh, there's two criteria, as far as I know, for getting Manjaro. The first is if you have an A1C above 7, and mine did hit 7.1 in this most recent A1C, but honestly, that was only once, and the last few before that were well below 7, and if they took it again today, it would be down below 7 again. Um, or if you can qualify for the weight loss version of Manjaro, which is now called Zep Bound, but for that you need either a BMI, and yes, I think BMI is bull, but you need a BMI of 30 or more, or you need a BMI of 27 with a complication. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't have either one of those. I don't qualify for the weight loss version of Manjaro, which is called Zep Bound, and I don't qualify for Manjaro itself because I am able to get my A1C low enough without it. I appreciate that, Mike, but hopefully things continue to go well without the Manjaro. But if you are qualifying for Manjaro or Zepbound or the original Ozempic or Regovi, yes, please avail yourself of those because I did find those extremely helpful when I was on Manjaro. This next letter here is from Stephen from Glendale. Good friend of the podcast. Always good to hear from Stephen. He says here, oh, it's similar. He says, hi, Tom. My wife and I were shocked when you mentioned that your A1C went up to 7.1 from 4.8. That's not good. I wonder if your provider can write a prescription to your retail or mail order pharmacy explaining that your diabetes is dangerously close to getting out of control and that you need to be prescribed Manjaro to better control your diabetes. Your provider can provide them with the A1C results as evidence, as well as your daily or weekly averages from your CGM, which you said has gone up as well. Barring that, we hope that increasing your Farsiga will help. Time will tell. As of today, January 18th, the temps in New York, as well as where you live, are in the low 20s. Do you still go out on your walks or do you have alternate exercises that you do to burn up your sugar? Get your steps in or close your circles. I don't have an iPhone, but use Fitbit smartwatch. Thanks, Steve. Always good hearing from you. And yeah, a couple points here. First of all, thank you very much for your letter here and I appreciate your thoughts. Could the provider write a prescription to your pharmacy? Yes. In fact, she's actually willing to do that, but I would have to pay full retail of over $1,000 a month. You say here, could she explain your diabetes is dangerously close to getting out of control? One A1C of 7.1 is not anywhere near dangerously out of control. Years ago, in fact, as recently as three years ago, my A1C was 
often between 10 and 12. That is dangerously out of control. So 7.1, one-time reading, not really out of control. Yeah, so the Farsiga going up, yes, I think that helps. I definitely think that helps. I do notice that when I made that change, and just that change alone, it did help. But I think what's really going on is with my eating in control, with combination with the Farsiga and the uh, Metformin, it is very well in control and no no real issues. Yeah, I do appreciate uh, that concern again from Steve and also uh, from Mike. But again, I just don't simply don't qualify for the Manjaro anymore. The fact of the matter is, I really didn't qualify for it when I even started the metformin, the Manjaro. When I started Manjaro, my most, most recent A1C before that was 6.0. 6.0 with just my eating and the Farsiga and the metformin. And that was a year ago when I started the Manjaro. So somehow it slipped by my insurance. I guess they were not as critical then. Maybe folks weren't really on the bandwagon yet at that point a year ago. But certainly now they're cracking down on it. And honestly, today I would never have been able to start the Manjaro with my current readings. Now, he asked about uh, what I do for exercise when it's frigid cold. Yes, uh, right now outside, I'm looking here, it is 23 degrees Fahrenheit outside in the middle of the afternoon on a full sunny day. And no, I'm currently not walking outside today. I do have a treadmill indoors. I have a rowing machine indoors. I've got some free weights, so I can certainly keep busy and active with movement indoors as well. Now tomorrow, it's going to be about this same temperature, maybe a couple of degrees warmer, and I am going out on the trail. I'm going out with on the trail with my daughter. Now, if I did not have that already planned, would I still be going out? Maybe not, because I do not like it when it's below freezing outside. But tomorrow we're going to do it. I'm going to bundle up, and I'll live. I'll survive. We'll go from there. Okay, if you would like to write in, if you would like to send in a question, a comment, maybe suggest a new topic. I'd really be interested in new topics. Also, if you want to let me know about your use of a CGM like we talked about today and your thoughts on journaling, there's two easy ways to do that. First, is just send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com or you can hop over to the website solvingtype2diabetes.com there's a link in the show notes and click on feedback and then there's a little form you can fill it out and that's honestly what most folks do that's how I get most of my input but I'm interested in hearing from you I would really hope that you would send something in so what is next next is my thoughts on what to do when willpower is not enough. And I got to tell you that these last two weeks, I really have not relied on willpower alone. I think that works for a little while for me, but doesn't work in the long run. I want to talk about what to do, what I do, when willpower isn't enough. And that'll be next time. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at solvingtype2diabetes.com. 
There you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.